in three, two, one. If you're looking for ways to empower your sales and service teams to exceed goals, develop a positive mindset, maximize their effectiveness, and hold them accountable for their productivity, you're going to enjoy my conversation with coach, trainer, and personal leadership expert, Steve Hillis. Well, hi, Steve. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Well, thank you. Great to be here, Michael. Now, where are we talking to you from? Where are you at today? Uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. Excited to have you. And we're going to be talking all about empowering and how you empower organizations and people and to become the preferred providers in the markets that they serve. And at your company, you specialize in helping your clients achieve their growth and profit goals by providing consulting and training and coaching. And basically, your goal is to improve their sales force and their go-to-market effectiveness. What led you to that? What made you say, hey, this is an area that we need to provide some support in? Yeah, great question. What really led me to that was just seeing a void in the marketplace. I spent 32 years running sales and marketing for really four different Fortune 100 companies, mainly in the flooring business. In North Georgia, the carpet capital of the world, that's kind of our main industry. Dalton, I think, yeah. Right. And so with each company, I saw that we did a pretty good job of product training and systems training, how to use the CRM, how to present the product. But there was a real gap in teaching great sales skills, great leadership skills for managers. And so when I retired after 32 years of doing that, I started Empower Partners. And that's what we focus on is working with companies to professional sales training skills to the salespeople, and then leadership training and coaching for managers. And we also work with business owners. We now call that executive coaching to help them improve the profitability. And the other thing we discovered, Michael, is that when things are delivered one time, we call it one and done. You read a book, you watch a video, or you hear a podcast, you're going to statistically, you're going to retain 20 to 30% of that information. Six months from now, you'll be using even less than that. However, when we can take someone through our coaching program, which is a one-on-one experience, you do two things. You get that spaced repetition of the training. In other words, we right. can every two weeks, we can go through that in a coaching call and reinforce what they're trying to learn. And the other thing is the one-on-one accountability, just like a coach-player relationship. And, and we get 80 to 100% retention on what we're trying to teach. And we actually are able to get the behavior change you need to see a salesperson go from mediocre or below to top performer or to see a manager really start to be a great leader. So most managers I find with most companies, they were a good salesperson and then they were promoted to sales manager. Well, whoever yeah, taught exactly. them to be a great leader. So, right. so anyway, that's how we uh, got the idea and we've expanded on that now. And it's a lot of fun. We work with companies actually uh, globally now. We're working with global clients on Excellent. improving their Salesforce effectiveness. 
Well, you raise an interesting point there, Steve, you know, as trainers, and I know you've trained for over three decades within different industries and worked for lots of different companies from a C-level perspective all the way down. So in your mind, the coaching became the critical element to make the training stick. As trainers, and we've been in the training industry for probably about the same time, people, they come to a program, they listen to what's being preached to them or taught to them, and then the retention is just not there. So you've developed a coaching model, sounds like, that... And really, that's really the internal formula for organizations is to have coaching systems or processes that they can then make sure that information sticks. Because everyone's at a different level, right? Like everyone's at a different starting point and a different grasp point. So you developed your own model for that? Yes, that's correct. For example, with managers, which we use the term leaders, there's a difference between managing people and leading people. Right. But for leaders, we really focus on how to empower that employee, how to empower that team. And it's really something that requires the leader to engage with their people, to be transparent. We like the model of servant leadership, where you do lead by example, and it's a very humble serving approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most managers don't understand that unless they're taught that and they buy into that. But it can be a very powerful tool, especially in today's market where Turnover is at all-time high in most companies mm-hmm. for many reasons, but in dealing with that, we find the number one reason that people leave companies today, there's been a lot of studies on this, is that they feel like their boss and or the company do not really care about their professional development. They're not really listening to them. Right. You know, they're just a number. And um, back when I was Starting my career, I just had the mindset that what's important is loyalty to the company. My grandfather worked for a company for 47 years. My dad worked for his company for 42 years. Wow. So I thought that's what you did. Yeah. But today's millennial generation thinks differently. I know with the different generations, we had careers and that was it. When when you and I started, we might have five to seven careers in our lifetime. But today's generation X, the Y, the millennials, they, they might have 10 to 15 different careers over their yeah. lifetime. And their tenure right. at an organization is a lot shorter. But you're saying a right. lot of that's because they're not getting the development. They're not getting the coaching. They're not getting the tools or the things they need to be successful. That's right. I think our... Uh, old business model of make the policies, make the procedures, give them two weeks of training and turn them loose is the day gone by. Companies that are successful today, companies that are growing today, clients we have that are doing a good job of retaining top talent are investing in spending time with that talent and doing that in a way that really engages their employee individually. And we take them through a system of understanding their vision, their goals, and then giving them tools they need to succeed. But it takes more than the way most companies are doing it today. Sure. Now you talked about mindset and the importance of it. And I know I've seen some of your work where you've talked about there's three different types of mindsets that you can work from. You can have a negative, a neutral, or a positive. Let's talk about that for a little bit. How important is mindset from the owner level, the executive level, and right down to the individual level? I think it's crucial. I think it's one of the most important things. And usually one of the first things when we're coaching an executive or a salesperson or a project manager, really coaching anybody is to, in the first two sessions, we deal with where they are in terms of their mindset. We do an assessment to begin with, and that tells us a little bit about whether they naturally are more positive or negative. But when you get into it, going through and identifying your goals 
and then really getting clarity around the purpose of each goal and then focusing on that really can help you move forward and it can help your mindset. One of the things that we say when we do that first session is that our mind is not our friend. Human nature is to go negative. Right. That's just our human nature. So one thing that a lot of study around this has shown that top athletes and people that are successful in business have in common is ability to control your thinking in a positive way and to focus on a few goals. And so we use that same concept, that same psychology in helping executives and salespeople really get focused on a few of the most important goals and then how to drive your own actions, your own activity. We call that motivational accountability where you as an executive or you as a salesperson hold yourself accountable, but there's a system and a process that they need to learn to be able to do that typically. Do you see commonality amongst the different mindsets and generations? So if you're working with somebody who's maybe been at it a little while, like nobody wakes up one day and goes, I think I'm going to go into sales. I think I'm going to go into business for myself. They usually have a path that they're following. So where does that mindset get developed? How do you identify, you mentioned assessments, where they're looking at it from? And then can you coach to mindset? Can you make that transition with people? Do they make that move? Yeah, absolutely. I think for most people, it does take some coaching and some development. You do find going a little deeper into that, there's four different types of people out there. You might be familiar with Myers-Briggs. You know, Back in the 50s, there was studies around different types of personalities. And uh, we've developed a system called uh, Navigate, where we take that same psychology and we help them identify their profile, if you will, their personality type. And then from there, A lot of their background affects how they think about things, whether they have a positive or negative mindset, but those things can be developed. You know, you mentioned salespeople that how do they get into that type of profession? 70% of all salespeople are entertainers. That's one of our navigators. (laughs) That's one of our things. That's one of them. And they are naturally outgoing. They love to meet people. They're dynamic. They love to be on stage. Extroverted. Uh, However, they can be horrible closers. They can, Interesting. and so because their biggest fear is rejection. Right. So as you work with each one, that's one of the processes we take people through in coaching to help them, first of all, really understand their personality, their DNA, their natural tendencies. Right. And then anyone can learn how to be better, how to improve and how to change their behavior, change their speech, change their approach, change their presentation, change their closing technique to identify with the other person. I'll give you a good example. Donald Trump is a fighter. Fighter is one of our personality types. A lot of business people, a lot of entrepreneurs are fighters because they won't work for somebody else. They just got to be their way or the highway. And so one of the things about a fighter personality, they can come across as being very negative, very controlling, demanding. Once they learn that about themselves, then we teach them how to learn to be humble, learn to hold back learn to listen more. And so there's things that aren't naturally part of their DNA that they can learn. And it helps not only their business performance and have more success in business with building customer relationships, but even your personal relationships. I mean, you know, if you're a fighter and your wife is a counselor, you better learn how to deal with that. Got to learn to adjust. It it might be a short marriage. Right. It's really important, I think, that ties back into whether you're positive or negative. And you can read books from Zig Ziglar and others about positive self-talk and practice that with your goals. 
but it takes a little bit more than that to really turn the tide on your mental approach. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Steve Hillis. Well, it breaks down to your self-awareness and where are you at in your journey and everyone starts at a different place. I get asked the question, are salespeople made or born? And as we build our teams or entrepreneurs made or born, and I, I think everything is made, you can be in the right condition, you can have the right aptitude for things. It's like you might be someone who's athletic or you've got a great voice and you've got some right. given talents that are a good starting point ahead of the curve, but then it's finding out where you are, where am I weak? What's the gap between where I am today and where I want to be in the future? And that's one of the areas that I know you work on. The mission of your organization or company is to help organizations, companies, and people achieve their goals. And you do it a lot by changing and breaking their belief barriers. What are some of the belief barriers that you run into? Well, I tell you, they're all over the board. I think some of the most common belief barriers are that I'm afraid of speaking in front of other people, mm-hmm. especially as we're dealing with executives. I'm kind of thinking through to answer your question, the different categories. If you're working with CEOs and executives, it might be the barrier of speaking to large groups. Right. And so how do you overcome that barrier? But it could range from that to something simple. We had a client recently that was told by their third grade teacher that they were not a good reader. And so they were put in the back of the class and the slow readers. And so all through school, all through college, they struggled with reading. They were convinced they were a bad reader just because a teacher told them that. That's a belief barrier that was spoken into them. And then when we went through our coaching program and the first thing we did is worked on their goals. And we saw that was a real barrier and a challenge when they talked about their strengths and weaknesses. So we had them set a goal to read one book a month in the first year. And the goal was to be an avid reader. At the time, they had fear around that. They didn't believe that Mm -hmm. because they'd gone through most of their life with that barrier. But they did that. They took a speed reading course. They actually read a book a month. And now they've written three books and they're an avid reader. So there's many, many different barriers. Uh, Another great example is uh, we were coaching a real estate salesperson and she was struggling with setting her goals. And so that was a red flag to us that something's deep here that we need to uncover. Sure. Turns out she was raised in a cult down in Louisiana. All she'd been told her whole life was, you can never accomplish anything. You follow these rules. Wow. So we went through a whole process of leaving the past behind and focusing on the future and your goals and actually used kind of an analogy that every day when you get out of bed, you picture you're driving a car and then you have two choices. You can look in the windshield of where you're going, the future, and focus on that. Or you can look up in that rearview mirror and see a past that's very painful. 
And so using that analogy, she broke through that and put it behind her. She was about to be fired when we enrolled her in the coaching program because she wasn't hitting her numbers. She was number three salesperson out of 10 that first year. And the next year, she was number one in the whole region with Allstate. It was an Allstate salesperson. And, and she wrote us a letter and said, you're the first person in my life that's told me that I can accomplish anything and that you believe in me. So it's having someone that's, again, the, sure. the value of coaching, which a manager can do with their employees, or you can have a friend or someone outside, but having someone that can be your cheerleader and also hold you accountable and then give you good tools, give you good training. Sales is a great career where you can make a lot of money, but there's no training for it. Read a book, you have a mentor. And so having some kind of system where you can actually learn these things about how to connect with other people and then how to build trust. It's all about people buy from who they like and people they trust. That's right. So how do we build trust quickly? And then how do we, in a great way, the biggest challenge we find to Salesforce effectiveness is distractions and procrastination. So how do we teach that to someone where they can hold themselves more accountable to accomplish their goals? Well, and it is a risk to their own productivity. You know, we've done exercises where we'll take sales team and we'll say, all right, let's list everything that we have to do. Like, what are all the things we do in our activities? And they'll come up with a nice list of that. Say you've got 10 or 15 things they have to do on a regular basis. The next question we ask is now let's prioritize those tasks in order of importance and how they drive the goals of the organization. And we do it anonymously and say, all right, let's compare that. And no one's on the same page. So nobody is on the same page. So having those clear set goals is important. And then it's looking at those team members, as you've said, and then finding out where are they starting from? What's the gap between where we need them to be? And then how do we affect through coaching, through exercises, through tools and empower them? And we'll move on to empowerment to move towards the goals of the organization. So everybody's on the same page. That's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about the empowering a team. What does that exactly look like? Like empowerment means a lot of different things. Hey, go empower your team. What are the barriers for that? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish there was one simple answer, you know, one (laughs) silver bullet. (laughs) What we've learned, Michael, is that it takes some serious analysis, open and honest discovery of your culture, but just simply, I'll give you a couple examples. What we use is we call it a DNA assessment, discovery of your needs assessment is what DNA means. But we spend some time right up front with any client or potential client, and it's usually a day and a half in their (laughs) office with leadership team first to understand what their goals are, what their challenges, and then to meet individually with usually like the top 10 to 15 people in the organization. Right. could be a sales leader, could be a top salesperson, could be an operations. But from that, what we're looking for is, and we usually ask the question, if we were to double this business in the next five years and start today, what would be the biggest challenges from where you sit with your job? And from that, we, we learn a lot about the challenges. I'll tell you, to give you the short answer, most of the time we find that, especially if it's a company that's been in business over 10 years. Right. There's a, a challenge with the processes and the culture. And the best way I know to explain that to you quickly is they need to transition from bureaucracy, which is kind of our American model of doing business, but I'm going to call that bureaucracy. Here's the rules. You follow those. Here's the procedures, follow the procedure book. 
transition from that to empowerment. Right. And so it starts with the CEO, the president, the executive team. If they have that agreement, they have that understanding that we as a company are ready to transition from bureaucracy to empowerment, then that sets the stage. I mean, you need to have that or you're going to waste a lot of time with it. But from there, then you go down to making sure I love Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. There's some great principles and there's a lot of good, solid facts in there that the most successful companies through history in our country have been companies that found a way to get the right people in the right seats on the bus is a term they use in the book. Right. And also to deal with the tough problems, to deal with the big issues. And so as you look at transitioning from bureaucracy to empowerment, different companies have different issues, but some typical examples are burn the rule book. I worked with a large Fortune 100 company a few years ago. And that was one of the first things we saw. It was a 50-year-old company and it was all around the culture was you got to follow the rules. And it was really holding them back. It was causing them to lose people, lose customers. And so we went to the company and endorsed a mantra, a slogan, if you will, of we're burning the rule book. And you had to communicate that to the whole company. And from there, we said, there's one rule service the customer. And so they took this long list of rules they had for customer service, for how they did production, all the policies, how the people were forced for expenses. I mean, salespeople couldn't even buy a hamburger for a customer. They had tightened down expenses so bad. So that became, that was kind of the beginning of changing the culture and transitioning from bureaucracy to empowerment is empower your salesperson to build relationships and take the customer to a $400 lunch if that works. And along with establishing good rules is accountability. And they brought all the salespeople in 20 at a time. They had 300 and something salespeople. And when we told them that and rolled this out, we said, and make sure you hear this. If you cheat $1 on expense accounts, you're fired. No questions asked. Doesn't matter if you've been here 20 years. So there was some accountability laid in with empowerment. If you're giving someone more freedom and flexibility, You've also got to have accountability, right. but it doesn't take a long list of rules that holds back your top producers just because you've got one or two bad producers right. that uh, might've taken advantage of it. It really means then managing those sales reps so that they have the authority to make key decisions and take ownership and pride in their results and to empower them, to give them the tools necessary for them to succeed, and then show them how to use it effectively and hold them accountable to it. That's right. So I think that sets the stage. The next big thing is, mainly with the executive team, is learning to truly listen, to truly listen to your employees. There's a book that I would recommend Simon Sinek wrote about leaders eat last. Right. And there's a story in there, a true story about an executive that took over a failing company. And his first week, he sat with the people out in the plant just to listen about what the challenges and all that. And they said, you don't trust us. Uh, that's our biggest problem. And what he found is that the factory workers were having to clock in every day. I mean, two or three times a day to go to lunch, they clock in and out. But all the office workers were allowed to just come and go. You know, So being able mm-hmm. to really listen. And that day, he had all the time clocks removed from the company. And so being able to make quick decisions, that's empowering your team. That's trusting them. And, sure. and if you build this culture of trust with accountability, 
and you get people rowing in the same direction, it's right. phenomenal what can happen. So moving them then, Steve, from a bureaucracy to empowerment, is that a long process? Can it be done quickly? Uh, yeah, it depends on the company. I think it can be done quickly. The real key there is, do you have the board and the executive team all on the same page? Right. Or does it take a long time to convince the key decision makers that we're going to make these changes and move this direction? But typically, smaller companies can do that faster than larger companies. A little more agile, yeah, absolutely. more agile. And we talk about listening, but the other good example is how you manage your employees and how you motivate them. You transition from doing annual reviews to monthly, and we don't call them reviews, but they're called individual goals meeting, an IGM meeting, where the manager should, we say to business leaders, you should have a one-hour closed-door one-on-one meeting with every person that reports to you every month. And that should be yeah. the most important meeting you have, and you do not talk about business. And so we take them through a process. They're talking about that employee's professional development goals. They're reviewing that employee's personal goals and top five business goals and a vision board. That's a process they learn. Sure. And, and through that, they're talking about what the challenges are for the employee, what their goals are, where they want to be in five years. And they do that every month. And when you're doing that, think about what I said earlier. The number one reason that employees lead companies today is they feel that their boss and the company don't really care about their professional development. Right. Well, if you're meeting every month for an hour with every employee reports to you, then you may be able to eliminate the number one reason that employees are going to leave your company. Well, it keeps it top of mind and it keeps that focus because we all set those goals in January and then we look at them again, maybe before the end of the year and go, oh boy. So it does keep it top in mind and staying present with it. And then from what you're saying, it sounds like then the leader, the manager, the owner, the entrepreneur, their goal is to then support that individual by giving them the tools they need to achieve the goals that they've set for themselves. Right. Exactly. One of the things I really liked about in your programs, you talk about manufacturing a better bottom line. And I started thinking about that and I thought, how do we manufacture it? Which means we're doing it on purpose Mm -hmm. because we've designed something and then we're going to build something. Explain that a little more. Yeah, that's probably my favorite subject. And when we do consulting, that's where we, we really drill deep with the business owner or executives. But it's really where they are today and then understanding that. And then this was where the vision and the goals comes in is thinking about how we can diversify or how we can develop new markets potentially, or how can we improve the profitability with our current markets or our current customers? And then it's helping the executives understand how that's possible and believing in that. And then how do we train our sales team and our operations team to work together to deliver that? I've got a client now, I won't mention their name, but a client here in Atlanta that started working with about five years ago. And by going through this process, they made those decisions. They changed the type of customers that they were developing. They changed some of their structure. Today, they have doubled their gross profit percentage and their net profit percentage has more than doubled in the last five years. And they do all negotiated business. They used to do a lot of bid work. And so they transitioned the type of customer, the way they were selling. They had to teach all of their salespeople how to do that. We've coached all their operations people as well. But it's really looking at your current business. I mean, a lot of companies get caught up in selling on price. I guess that would have to be maybe the main takeaway here. And if you can transition from selling on price 
to selling value total at value. a premium. If your people can truly understand it, and it's not just the salesperson, but it's also the installer, the operations, but your whole team. If you can get your team in that mindset that we're going from here to here in the next two years or five years, then it really starts people down that path and you've got to give them the tools. What do you do to differentiate yourself compared to your competition? That takes some analysis, that takes some benchmarking, but once you understand that, then you can do that. It makes sense. A lot of salespeople use price as an offensive weapon. And we've always preached, you can be price leader with the stroke of a pen. So Mm -hmm. one quick stroke of the pen and I'm now the price leader. And so it's Mm -hmm. a race to the bottom. Instead, as you say, it's that total value proposition. And to me, there's three elements that go into that in our mind is number one, the product. So whatever Mm -hmm. that product or service is, and that to us represents one third of the value that the client's actually going to receive. The second third is the company itself. How long have you been in business? What are you doing? What's your goals? Why do you exist? And then the third third is the individual themselves because they hire you. And if they like you and trust you, they're going to buy from you. Let's transition a little bit just in one of the other areas that you focus on and you've touched on it already is providing superior customer service. And of course, that's subjective in every company. You know, we've been preaching customer service for years and it seems like it's getting worse all the time. What does superior customer service look like today? And what should we expect from companies moving forward? Yeah, great, great question. You familiar with Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Superior customer service. They've become the number one restaurant chain in the world because they figured that out. It's engaging with your clients. It's really building that culture. And I love the acronym C-A-R-E. Right, CARE, you call it, right. Yeah, yeah, CARE, which stands for customers are really everything. Mm -hmm. This client I told you about early on that we did a turnaround for that had all the rules and we had to change from bureaucracy to empowerment. One of the things we did when we said burn the rule book, we had these big banners made. They would hang out in the plant, in the offices. They had it on their screensavers. And it just simply said C-A-R-E. And everybody knew that meant customers are really everything. So if you can really keep the focus on the customer, that's important. When you get drilled down to the salesperson level, I'll just share a quick tip there. Most salespeople, when you analyze an organization and look at their sales effectiveness, you'll find most of the salespeople are missing the most important part of the cycle of the sale because that's all they know. They've been taught, you say, you do a great job of presenting your product and the features and the benefits. And then you go to price, or you may ask a few questions about their problems. Going back to what you and I both have said on this podcast, customers buy from people they like and trust. Right. So how do we build trust? They're leaving that part out. They're just showing product, and then they're trying to quote a price and get an order. If they will ask the right questions, and if they understand Navigate, or they understand how to identify if I'm dealing with a fighter, am I dealing with Donald Trump, or am I dealing with Jimmy Carter, who's a counselor? Am I dealing with Bill Clinton, who's an entertainer, or am I dealing with Barack Obama, who's a detective? That's four different personalities. Right. And if you don't know how to ask the right questions and connect with them on their level, with their personality type, you're going to miss out on maybe 60 to 70% of the time. But once you learn that, and the way you present is different, the way you overcome objections is different, and then the way you close. We've designed closing techniques for each of those four types of people. Then all of a sudden you're building trust. They want to work with you instead of going to some other competitor. 
that's a big important part is learning that we call it relationship sell and learning how to integrate that into everything that you do. Well, you can see it's really psychology 101. There's so many aspects to it. We need to first understand ourselves and know where we're at. And then we learn to adjust to what's out there. Too often, Mm -hmm. if we stay within our certain style, as you've outlined, we tend to be locked in. We're only going to appeal to a certain segment of the market. So we need to be chameleons and our people need to be chameleons and learn to adjust, which I think really starts with the listening because there's a lot of cues, as you've talked to, and if we're actively listening, actively observing, we should be able to pick up on those cues. And then we can just adjust our presentation. It's not about manipulation, it's about connecting. And that's what I hear you saying. And so we want to build a culture within our organizations where we design our objectives, our goals. We want to build a culture and that culture where we are trusting our people, burn the rule book. Love that. I think everybody could take a good look at it and say, hey, let's start over. If we were starting fresh today, maybe what would that look like? And then let's put the customer first, develop a customer centric organization and we can expect positive results. In wrapping up, what kinds of things have you seen from where companies started? and where they end up. We've seen great results. I shared with you one, I won't mention the company name, but they were losing a million dollars a month when we started. And they were very bureaucratic, old family, 50-year-old company. They had a lot of potential that two years later, they were making a million plus a month. It took the whole organization. When we first started with them, they said, go fix our sales team. Well, we did a little (laughs) DNA analysis and saw the bigger problem was internally with their quality and their service and the way they communicate with customers. So we had to fix that, which took about six months before we got to retraining the sales team. Yeah. The sales prevention department. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think it's just really important for companies as executives to step back and be able to take a fresh approach with an open mind. If you're not open, then good luck. You're just going to keep doing the same things you've always done and probably get the same kind of results. Sure. Having that empowerment mindset of making change and change can be good and change can be profitable and it can be great for your customers. Absolutely. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure having you. If our listeners want to get in touch with you about empowering their teams and how they can take their business to the next level, you do offer initial consultations and those are complimentary. Where's the best place they can find you at the website? Websites are great place to start. It's www.empowerpartners.net. Connect there for a complimentary DNA assessment, phone call. Sometimes that's an in-person meeting, but we don't work with everybody. We want to understand a company's goals and their challenges. And if we see that we can really help them move the needle, then we'll try to put together a scope of work that meets their budget and that gets good results. Well, thank you, Steve. Lots of good insights. And we'll have all your contact information in the show notes. And so for companies who do want to go to that next level, do want to empower their teams and install a coaching process that's one-to-one that is designed to help their people move from where they are today to where they need to get to. I know your program covers all of that. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Good to speak with you, Michael. Take care. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.